That's just a beautiful few ma beautiful measures of music. Aren't those last few measures? Don't you just want a cup of tea or whatever? I don't know, whatever you drink at bedtime. Good evening. How was your Thursday? How are you, back rows? Are you all good back there? So good, I heard. So good. Nice to have you here tonight. Jesus says, repent or you will die. Isn't that a great camp meeting sermon? I used to have parents who would say to me, I used to be a pastor for children and families, and sometimes the parents would say, why don't you preach about sin more often? Well, here you go. Unless you repent, you will die. I don't know about you. I kind of like our Jesus better when he's fixing broken people and rebuking the religious types. I kind of like our Jesus better, the one we've been talking about earlier this week. And here we have him in Luke's gospel, chapter 13, saying, repent or you will die. On August 1st, January 1st, I'm sorry, January 1st, it was New Year's Day. You know what goes on in Pasadena, California, where I'm from, right? You all turn on that rose parade in your jammies with your cinnamon rolls and biscuits and you watch, right? Or whatever. We were on the street this year with 700,000 sleep-deprived people in Pasadena waiting for the floats to come down uh, Colorado Boulevard, right? It was surprising to me what I witnessed. I haven't been to the Rose Parade in decades. Maybe 20 years ago we went. I was surprised while we were waiting for the floats that we saw kind of a collection of humans walking down the middle of the street. And uh, they were carrying signs. The signs said things like this. If you can read this sign, you need God. The only way to God is through Jesus, his son. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Repent and be saved, one of the signs said. The last guy pushing, pushing literally, a big wooden prop down Colorado Boulevard, it was a Bible two-sided Bible that said the holy word, the holy scriptures, and he had his megaphone, and he shouted out to the people, you've come this morning to see vanity of all vanities. I mean, really, they're just roses on wood, floats. You've come to see vanity of all vanities, but hey, we can have church while you're sitting right here. So he read them some scripture, and he preached a short little sermon. And then he would go down the street a few more yards, and he'd do it all over again, read them some scripture and a short little sermon. In his fatigues, because this is what Christians wear, right? Army fatigues. Is this, maybe this guy, you, repent, you will die. Maybe he gets it. Maybe it's a little more like the cluster of singers we saw in Hollywood. Down by the Kodak Theater, where the Hollywood Walk of Fame is, where all the stars are on the sidewalk, where you can find every bit of humanity Oh, yeah, that's my guy. That's my shot from the Rose Parade. There's a guy with the Bible. See right out there in the middle of the street? I actually uh, caught myself just as I was stepping down off the side of the curb, and my husband grabbed my arm. Like, oh, no, you're not. Oh, yes, I am. Oh, no, you're not. All right, then I'll just take a picture. I did write a letter to the Pasadena uh, City Hall saying, what is, what, 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 what? Why do we need that before the Rose Parade? Maybe he's right. Repent or you will die. Maybe it's more like the singers 
in Hollywood, on Hollywood Boulevard, near Hollywood and Vine, or Hollywood and Highland. We saw a group a few years ago. The rain was coming down. It was late on a Saturday night, clustered together. The women had their heads covered, very long skirts, dark skirts. The men had long black jackets and some kind of a little top hat under umbrellas. They were all clustered together, and they sang out into the night sky in Hollywood. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Oh, syringe needles in the alley. Every few storefronts, there are signs for sexual acts that you can purchase. There's dozens of citizens hoping they're going to get a glimpse of a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. There's a bunch of intoxicated people, even more police officers. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. No, no one joins me. They sing into the night sky. When we hear Jesus say, repent or you will die, is it like that? Maybe the singers on Hollywood Boulevard, they know what they're singing about. No turning back. They're, convinced they're converting as many souls as they can that night. Unless you repent, you will die, Jesus says. He says it twice in a very short little passage we're studying tonight in Luke chapter 13. There is a direction to head. When you think repent, maybe this is what you think. There's a direction that you head. No turning back. Hey, I was baptized. Most of you were baptized. We head this direction. No turning back. We're going this way now because we've made this decision. We have repented. I know the day I was baptized. It's written in my Bible. Maybe it's like that for you too. I've looked at my grandma's Bible, my grandpa's Bible, my parents' Bible. We've already done this repentance thing. When Jesus says, repent, is he talking about that, the moment we choose baptism? Is he talking about characters like Saul? We know this one, right? Saul rounding up Christians on the, new Christians on the way with Jesus. This is the way we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Saul, he rounds them up, he takes them back so we can kill them because, hey, they're inconvenient and they're wrong. Saul's conversion. Saul's conversion story is told three times in Acts. Every time it's told a little bit differently, but the core of his conversion is always the same. He's on the road. Something tremendous happens. He meets Jesus. Saul becomes Paul. No turning back. And that becomes sort of the, what the conversion experience looks like in early Christianity, Amazing men of faith, Augustine, Martin Luther, John Wesley, these are big, important names in our faith tradition. They all claim to have had conversion experiences a lot like Saul's. Lights, bright things, phenomenal, extraordinary, unexplainable, unimaginable conversion. Is that the repentance you think Jesus is talking about tonight? That's a tough one to measure up to, isn't it? For most of us. Our conversion experiences don't look like that. Makes you feel a little inadequate if you just got baptized in a 50-member church, actually. Can I tell the truth? Why didn't I get one of those experiences like the Damascus Road? Repent or you will die, Jesus says in our text tonight. When you hear the word repent, what do you think? What does it mean to you? Repent or you will die. What are you hearing? In the text tonight, is it like Saul on the Damascus Road? 
Is it like uh, my brother, my brother who would kneel behind, by, I think I mentioned him last night or the night before, on the weekends he was a terrified little kid. He would spend Friday night on his knees saying his prayers, confessing his sins, trying to remember his sins. Because we learned in Sabbath school, we learned in school, if you confess your sins, God is what? Faithful to do what? Forgive them. So my brother spent his time on his knees naming his sins on Friday night. I remember more than once. We're only eight months apart. My brother and I were very close. You figured that out already? We're only eight months apart. I spent a lot of time with him, listening to him recount his sins. You know what, his, he's just in a very practical problem. Well, I did this thing, but I didn't really mean to, so do I have to say I'm sorry for that one? And I did this thing, but I don't really think it's a sin, but you probably do. Do I have to say I'm sorry for that one? My little brother spent most of his Friday nights confessing his sins and trying to remember them. Is it more like that when you hear the word repent tonight? You think it's more like sin management? If we can remember and confess our sins, then we, we've, we've done this that Jesus asks for in Luke chapter 13. When you hear repent tonight, I want to read it to you in the context of Luke 13. The people are complaining to Jesus. In just a few verses, a lot happens tonight. And actually, in just a few verses, if these were ideas we could understand in junior high, it would change our relationship with God in our teenage and adult and young adult years. In just a few verses, this is what happens. The people are complaining that Pilate, Pilate, the Roman officer, right? Pilate has killed some people while they're in the temple giving their offerings. They've brought animals to sacrifice and they've been slaughtered. So the people are complaining to Jesus, hey, this happened. This shouldn't have happened. Actually, it became sort of like a CSI scene. If you can imagine the blood of animals mixing with the blood of people as Pilate had people murdered while they're in church. It's just a pile of tragedy. So the people say to Jesus, this, is, this isn't right. Maybe they shouldn't have been killed because they're in church giving their offerings for goodness sakes. Luke 13, verse 2, Jesus responds to them by saying this. Do you think the suffering of these Galileans proves that they were more sinful than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. Change or you're going to die. Jesus goes on. What about the 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty of wrongdoing than everyone else who lives in Jerusalem? No. But unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just like they died. See, the major motivation for the people listening to Jesus this day, hey, we, we just don't want to get punished, so tell us what to do so we don't have to get punished. In fact, they're not so different, the people moving around the marketplace and in the fisher boats and, and doing business in the square. They're not so different than my brother, counting up his sins, working on his sin management, because he just doesn't want the punishment. It's very common from the earliest days of religion to today. What most of us are afraid of is the punishment. They've inherited this conviction. The bad things happen to people who do bad things. You know the story in John 9, the man who's blind, right? Young guy who can't see, he needs a healing. And when the people, the villagers see him blind, they ask him, so who committed the sin, you or your parents? 
Who did the bad thing that you're without your eyesight? This is the common understanding. If you've got a problem in your life, you've done something to earn it. You've heard this, right? Last night, we watched film clips from Beasts of the Southern Wild, the movie, The Little Girl Hush Puppy. This was her story. She must have done something bad to bring all of this into their life. So what the people want here is, hey, we, do, we, we, we just don't want uh, to get punished. Tell us what we have to do to not get punished. But however, Jesus comes up with this teaching. You, you think that that tower fell on people who were more or less deserving? Bad things happen, full stop. Bad things happen to good people, full stop. Bad things happen to supposedly bad people, full stop. Well, while we're at it, let's just cover all of it. Good things happen to good people. Good things happen to supposedly bad people. That's just the way things go. Now repent or you will die, Jesus says. Oh, this is so not helpful. This was not the question that was being asked that night. But somebody here tonight needed to hear that. Bad things happen to good people, full stop. Jesus tells the people that night, it ought to give you then pause to reconsider your life, Jesus says to them. Repent or you will die. Repent or you'll become like them. Repent or, or what? Two things Jesus says to them that night. Let's just get really clear. Things happen in our world. And I'd like for you to live a full, rich, meaningful life. I'd like you to live. It is possible to walk around the world sleepwalking, not actually living. Two big ideas Jesus puts together in one teaching. Bad things happen in this world. Just a few weeks ago in our neighborhood, car salesman takes the car out on the road. Customer's going to buy from him. 28-year-old guy driving. Car veers off the road, crashes. Car salesman dies. The customer survives. Because bad things happen, right? They made a makeshift memorial to him the next day. His co-workers standing around the tree reflecting, what just happened here yesterday? That could have happened to any of us. Yeah, we should take life more seriously, they decided, standing around the tree that day in Ontario, California. We could just take the news from today or yesterday while we've been up here in this glorious environment of the lake. Boy, just today or yesterday, was it 31 counties in Texas that have been declared now a state of emergency with floodwaters? 31 counties, that's a tremendous amount of people displaced in crises, right? We could talk about that. We could talk about the shooting in my neighborhood again at UCLA yesterday, more violence on a campus because Jesus says bad things happen, full stop. We could talk about the young adult I met at camp meeting last year who said to me, I got to talk to you, pastor. I went to serve Jesus in the mission fields a few months after I got there. My mom is diagnosed and she dies. What bad thing have I done that Jesus brought this to me? We could talk about the earthquake from 2007. If you want to go back to the earthquake shot, this one is a fascinating story. This one is seared in my mind. This is the bridge, a multiple-lane steel bridge between the two twin cities in Minnesota. The bridge goes over the Mississippi River. It's a huge bridge. Earthquake hit August 1, 2007. 
Immediately, the news carried an interview with a man who just 30 seconds, his car had made it across the bridge before all the shaking and the fracturing of the steel and the concrete. And the man said, I just praise God because I prayed this morning for traveling mercies of safety, and here I am today, alive, a testimony that God takes care of people. The news carried a couple of stories like that, but it didn't carry the stories of the 13 people who perished or the 145 people hurt, many of them who also prayed for prayer that morning, prayed for safe traveling mercies. The news didn't talk about the one Native American who survived American colonization and died in an earthquake in 2007. There was one woman Wolf Blitzer interviewed, and he said to her, you must be so thankful to God that God spared you today. She said, well, actually, I don't believe in God. Guess they didn't screen that one before they got her on air, right? Because bad things happen in this world, full stop, Jesus says. Bad things happen to good people, bad, supposedly good people. Bad things happen to supposedly bad people. As if we could separate people into these categories, these things happen. No one's offered a free pass in this life, Jesus says. If no one has a free pass, why don't you repent today? Why don't you wake up and live today? Why don't you join me on the way today? Don't sleepwalk through your life. Don't waste your life. Otherwise, you'll, you'll, your, your soul, it'll just waste away as if you had died when the tower fell on the people, when Pilate killed the people in the temple. No one is offered a free pass. Somebody that night must have been saying to Jesus, can we just go back to the other way? We like it better the other way. Why don't you just tell us we're going to be safe? We'll repent, you protect us, and life will go on, be a lot better. Somebody must want it that way that day. As soon as Jesus begins to unpack what this really means. There are three words in our Bible for repent. I think it's helpful to keep that in mind. They mean three different things, and we, we hear all of them every time we read this word. One of them is a, a change of, of uh, our behavior. We actually act differently. Sometimes when we read that word in the Bible, repent means we're going to change our behavior. Sometimes it means we're going to change our feeling about things. Sometimes it means we're going to change our thinking or our mind. We're, we actually have a conviction or a change in our mind. Sometimes all three of these things happen. We think differently, we feel differently, we act differently, but sometimes they happen one at a time. It's not nice and neat. Maybe one day I think differently about it and it'll take me a week or a month for my actions to catch up. You've ever had that happen to you? I know better, I know better, I know better. I was in this little bakery down here a couple days ago in Waynesville. This woman stood up and uh, walked away from her table and said, well, I just sat right here in plain daylight and sinned. I know, I was so curious. What'd she do? What'd she do? What'd she do? I, didn't, I missed it. I had my Bible open. I was working. I mi What'd she do? She ate dessert and walked away and put her dirty dish. That was her sin, right? She said, I know better, but I just had to have it today. Yeah. I know better. Maybe my actions will catch up next week. Maybe one day I'll choose the different thing, but I didn't really want to. I'm just pushing against my will, pushing against my will. And in a few weeks or months or years, my heart will catch up to it. 
When I was a little girl, I would sneak into the kitchen on Friday night because most Friday nights, my mom would bake an apple pie. You have Gravenstein apples here in Carolina? I don't know why I'm looking at you. You're not an apple expert. <laughs> He's clearly shaking his head. No. Gravenstein apples make the very best apple pies, the perfect combination of something tart with just enough, a hint of juiciness to make this just delicious. Mom would make them every Friday night. Now, did you know if you sneak into the kitchen late on Friday night when everybody's asleep? Did you know that it is actually possible on the corner of the pie to lift up the upper pie crust? You don't even need a knife or a fork. You can use your finger. You can just get your finger in there, and you can scoop out the apples. <laughs> if it's a really soft apple pie, like she cooked it too long, a straw will do. It, it works. And then you can just put the lid to the apple pie back down like that and sneak away. And you'll never watch all the sinking that happens because you go to bed. <laughs> you get up in the morning and went, what happened? Who, what happened to the pie? You'll look at the pie and go, I know I shouldn't have done that. Ugh, my actions couldn't catch up with my thinking. My thinking couldn't get before my actions. It took me months and years, actually, before I realized if I would leave the pie alone on Friday night, my mother would have the most sweet expression on her face Sabbath afternoon as she served her guests. And we would all together enjoy a lovely dessert. It took me a long time of watching that relationship happen before it all made sense and my thinking and my feelings and my actions all clicked and I could walk into the pie room on Friday night see that pie and go see you tomorrow sometimes all three of those mix sometimes it takes a while for all three of those to mix you think when your thinking catches up with your actions and your thoughts and your feelings and everything merges we um we will one day, we hope, wake up and find mo on most things, these thir things align. We think and we feel and we behave in sort of a unified way. Jesus is telling them this while he's also addressing, listen, and bad things happen in the world. And your question about how, why do bad things happen is probably not the most important question today. We can be very distracted by these kinds of questions, and I understand them. I have them. These are questions I spend so much of my time on. And then here's Jesus saying, really, it's not about what you break in the world. It's about what we can make in the world. Can we change our focus? We don't need people like my brother sitting around counting his sins. When you're busy counting your sins, where is your energy to make and create in the world? Dallas Willard helps us when he says, on our, when we think about God and we're putting together our ideas of God, sometimes we're at the mercy of our own ideas, especially our ideas about God. Do you understand that? We inherit ideas, just like the people with Jesus inherited the idea that bad things happen to people because they've done bad things. We inherit our ideas about God. We inherit our storytelling about God. Let me illustrate it this way. All of our storytelling, right? We inherit ways we tell stories. 
There are ways stories are tell, told about divinities from ancient times all the way through to today. Most of them involve scary gods. But let me illustrate it this way. Here, we're going to show you a, just a little clip tonight of the first moving film. The year is 1895. This is the first time that they figured out how to make things move and record it on film, all at the same time. This is shown in Paris, 1895. That's the year 1895. It's made by very famous uh, Lumiere brothers. I don't speak French, so if you do, I apologize. Lumiere, something like that. Very famous filmmakers. When they showed this movie, do you know what happened? It scared people to death. Did anybody feel afraid tonight watching that little clip? Were you all okay, front row? Were you okay over here, front row? Well, the front row was not okay when they first showed this in 1895. The rumor is that people got up and ran <laughs> from the front row and the chairs went flying because they thought the train was going to come right off the tracks and land in their lap. They'd never seen anything like that on the screen and they achieved it by putting the, the camera here on the platform level and shooting at such an angle so that when people sitting in the chairs in a little saloon saw that for the first time coming at them, they screamed and ran for their lives. The story goes. Because in 1895, that was some major storytelling on the screen. Now today, here's what storytellers have done with that very same video clip. Take the movie of the music from Jaws, right? This is what our storytelling looks like. To, hey, if the trailers for films didn't look like this, no one would go see them. We should know that our storytelling about God has taken shape and grown. It evolves the same way, friends. So it is that Ellen White, as a little girl, aged 10, 11, 12, would go to her knees in the evening and pray for people she thought hadn't been saved. She would go to her bed, and she was so afraid of God, she couldn't fall asleep. 
She's afraid of God because she has a voice in her head of a fiery preacher who stood at the pulpit and hit the pulpit and preached one more of those sermons like sinners in the hands of an angry God, children dangling over God and hell. Ellen White was so afraid of God as a little girl until her mother finally sent her to a young preacher in town and the young preacher said, Ellen, God is not a tyrant. God is loving, a loving father. You are free of that. And she was able to lay down and sleep. And never more was that her picture of God. We're at the mercy of our own ideas often when we think about God and we hear repentance and we immediately go to the worst case scenarios. Here's Jesus saying, actually, to people, I, I, I'd like you to live. I don't want you to just be sleepwalking through life. Repent. Get on the way with me. Otherwise, you'll be part of the walking dead. Otherwise, you might as well, you might as well has, have died when the tower falled, fell down and when the people died in the temple. You might as well go ahead and fall asleep now because you won't actually be living Jesus telling people in Luke chapter 13, I don't want you to be sleepwalking, so repent and you can live. Jesus might know what he's talking about. He's on his way just in a few chapters to his own beating and torture, hanging on a wooden cross in the sunshine with his nails in his body where he will die his own human death. Jesus might know something about bad things happening to good people. And in that same chapter, Luke 13, at the very end, after Jesus has told them, listen, bad things happen, repent and live, the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, psst, 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 Herod, Herod's after you, Herod's after you, come, Jesus, get out of town, which is kind of humorous in its own right. The, Her the Pharisees are now warning Jesus, they care. Jesus says, go tell that fox, I'm going to keep healing, and I'm going to keep repairing God's kingdom. Today, tomorrow, and the next day. It's as if Jesus tells us what he meant the whole time. Repent and live, repent and live, repent and live. Get on this way with me now, today. As I've said this week, I think, it's not the easier life, it's just the better life. Repent, friends, when you don't think you're not prepared for God to be God. Repent when we're unprepared for God to be God. The very next story Jesus will tell is of a woman bent over for 18 years who needs a healing. Repent if you think she deserves to be bent over and not healed. Repent if you think she did something to earn that. Repent if you don't think God can solve that. Repent if you can't find your way to be part of her life and make her life better. Repent. Repent if you can't see the good thing God is trying to do. We had a woman walk into our church a few weeks ago. She caught me on the sidewalk before I was going in, all wired up like this, getting ready to preach for our earliest service. She stopped me on the sidewalk and said, I need a ride to San Diego, and I need it right now. I looked at my watch, and it was 9.15, and I'm the only person on the sidewalk with her, and I said, okay, while I'm thinking, then she blurted out everything else she needed, and she preferably needed it right now. 
I wasn't, did not even go to problem solving. I'm just going to be honest with you. In my mind, I looked at the woman. I sized her up. I figured out her life in five seconds. And in my mind, I'm thinking, really? Really? You're going to come here on a Saturday morning and ask us to do all this for you? Really? Like you couldn't just wait till Monday and come? Really, in my mind, I've got her life. We, I've seen your kind. We see your kind around here all the time. People asking us for money all the time. In my mind, friends, I'm telling you the story that started playing. It's not a pretty story. It's a very human story. I got your number, lady. I know, I know. You want stuff from us. We've seen plenty of your kind on our streets. She's probably thinking, and I've seen plenty of your kind, religious person. Repent when in your mind you have already judged and diagnosed people before God could even do what God wants to do. Repent when you look at people with megaphones on, on down the middle of Colorado Boulevard pushing a God that doesn't resemble my God, but repent when I think there is some hierarchy here and I'm probably better than the guy in fatigues. When Jesus prays that prayer in the Gospel of John, I pray that they'll all be one. He's hoping that I'll find companionship with the guy in the fatigues on Colorado Boulevard. Can you believe that? How crazy is that? The guy on Colorado Boulevard probably doesn't want companionship with me. Repent, Jesus says. When you're unprepared for God to be God, repent. When you think you've got this figured out and God hasn't even had time yet to get people on the scene. Living on our street a few years ago, there's a young adult, HIV infected. I got called to the home to say prayer. He didn't ask for it, his mama, his grandma asked for it. I made my way up the street, very old, rundown house, dirty front yard. And this young guy comes around from the back of the house, no shirt, dirty, scruffy. I don't know how he got his HIV. It could have been one of two or three things. You could see the track marks. I know his life. He came from around the back of the house and I walked into the driveway and I put my hand out to shake his hand. He said, hey Gabriel, it's uh, Chris here. Gabriel took his hands from behind lifted his hand up and looked at it like this. And then he looked at me, and he looked back at his hand, he looked back at me, he put his hand back in his pocket. Pretty sure he shouldn't shake my hand. Repent if you're okay being the clean person that scene. I'll never let that happen to me again. I wish I could have thrown my arms around him and pulled him close. Repent if we're unprepared for God to be God. This is all Jesus is saying tonight. It seems simple. Sure, not easy.